Welcome everybody to episode number nine of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Robbie Owens from the Average Jake Firefighter Blog. During my 16 years as a Disney senior executive, I repeated that phrase about making magic hundreds of times. But its full magnitude hit me with the hurricane force literally in the summer of 2004. That's when Disney World was hammered by three major hurricanes in a little more than a month. Normally, tropical storms do not cause heavy damage in Orlando, as it is about 50 miles from both coasts. In fact, the city had not suffered a direct hit in 40 years. Then came 2004 and the one-two punch of Charlie and Francis. In August, Hurricane Charlie swept through Orlando on Friday the 13th with gusts of up to 105 miles per hour, ripping down trees and power lines and tearing the roofs off buildings. The area had not yet fully recovered when Francis came roaring in two weeks later on Labor Day weekend, no less when Disney World was to host 75,000 guests. We were forced to close the theme parks on both occasions, something we had done only twice before, once on 9-11 and once in 1999 for Hurricane Floyd, which fortunately veered away at the last minute. But this time, we had to batten down the hatches, and when your hatches are spread over 47 square miles... It's a monumental task. That is a excerpt from the book we're going to be covering on today's podcast, Creating the Magic, 10 Common Sense Leadership Strategies from a Life at Disney. And it's by Lee Cockrell, who was the Executive Vice President of Operations for Walt Disney World. Uh, So how did, or why are we going to cover this book? First things first, uh, I discovered this book while vacationing at Walt Disney World. My wife is a huge, and and I think huge is even an understated word uh, when it describes her Disney fandom. Um, For a little bit of background, when I was a kid, I went to Disney World one time, probably 1991 or 92, um, right around in that time frame. And that was it. Uh, we went to Disney, we went to Universal, and, and we never really went back. When we went to Florida, uh, it was usually to visit my grandparents. And they lived on the Panhandle side in a little town called Milton, Florida, which uh, is kind of close to Pensacola. It was a little bit of a drive, but that's, that was my Florida experience, and that was my Disney experience. And then I met my wife, who is a Disney fanatic. She's crazy about it. Uh, we have a whole area of our house, our dining room area that we call the Disney dining room, where she just decorates it all Disney World, and she's a Disney part-time travel agent. Uh, She loves Disney World, and so I've gone on many, many a trip, and as a matter of fact, uh, we just returned from about a four or five day trip to see the new car, uh, not Cars Land, but uh, Toy Story Land that's open. So, you can you know you can see how big Disney plays out in her life, and so when you're involved with someone, uh, you know romantically, and you're married to them, you take interest in what they're interested in. You know she was not as huge a sports fan, 
until she married me. Uh, she was not, you know, if you had asked her if she ever saw herself uh, helping run a wrestling league, being the director of a wrestling league or being the, the you know, the, the team mom for a football team or knowing the exact size singlet a kid should wear uh, when she was a teenager, she'd have told you you were crazy. Uh, but because I'm interested, I was a wrestler growing up and I like to coach wrestling and our boys are wrestle and she's into that. So uh, one trip while we were at Disney World, they had this book sitting out there and I like reading leadership stuff, duh. I, if you've ever listened to anything I've done about the podcast, you know I talk about Jocko Willink, and I talk about all the things I've done a book review uh, by Randy Kern about leadership, and, and I like to do stuff like that. I like to talk about stuff. I just finished up the leadership book Team of Teams uh, by General Stanley McChrystal, so I read a lot of leadership stuff. So if it's leadership, I'm probably going to read it uh, because I feel that is one of the things that in the fire service we struggle so much. And we tend in the fire service, however, when we study leadership or we read about leadership, we keep it a lot of to a lot of military style leadership. We we tend to like pigeonhole ourselves. Like we don't think that we can learn leadership tactics from people that are in similar situations. You know, because in the fire service we are in a form of, we're a paramilitary organization, 90% of the fire departments out there. Uh, we follow a very linear rank structure. We uh, have small units. We, and you know, a lot of people refer to firefighting as a form of combat and where you experience the same thing. So there's a lot that can translate uh, from military leadership onto the fire ground. However, there are other forms of leadership out there and there are other things, and be quite honest, we spend more of our time in the firehouse than we do on the fire scene and on the fire ground. And that is personally where I have struggled with leadership. I feel like as a, you know, to, for lack of a better term, a battlefield commander, a fire ground commander, I'm pretty good at that. I can analyze a situation quick. I can take action. I can make decision. I can lead people into a hostile environment, keep track of them, give good information back to the people in charge, all those things. I feel like I'm very good, and maybe that would be a better term would be a, a better tactical leader. But in the firehouse, I've always struggled because I have just always been gung-ho about the fire service ever since I got involved in it. So it's very tough for me to deal with people who don't have the same viewpoints as me. I'm not as tolerant of differing opinions or differing viewpoints about the fire service as I should be. Also, I don't have, I mean, of course, I've experienced some bad things in my life. My wife is a cancer survivor. My oldest son was born with clubfoot. Uh, I've got a cousin who's blind. I've, had, I've experienced death. But for the most part, I have been from a tremendously supportive family. Uh, my mom and dad have always encouraged me. They've supported me in everything that I've ever done. They've never stopped me from trying stuff that that are that is new. My wife and kids are the same way. They encourage me. Uh, I surround myself with people who who push me to be better and are supportive and are there for me when I have failures and when I have successes. They never leave my side, even if it's just a text or or, or something. You know, they're always supporting me. So, I. You know, I have a good marriage, all of these things. So it is tough for me to relate or sympathize or empathize with someone who's having a bad marriage or with someone who has just had nothing good or no support or had a tough upbringing. 
And so I have to learn through other leadership styles on how to handle that kind of stuff. Uh, I was never prepared to deal with a grown man crying uh, across a desk from me. I was not prepared for that. They didn't cover that in Fire Officer 1 through 4, any of the leadership classes I'd ever taken in the fire service, and any of the leadership books I read prior to getting promoted. So after that, I knew that I needed some additional... And I still struggle with it to this day. Uh, there are things you know to this day that I struggle with about that. And that's where I kind of came upon this book. It was sitting on the shelf, and I figured there had to be something in here, someone who could manage Disney World from the level that he managed Disney World at, uh, and and just and that's and if you've ever been to Disney World, you know it's an oiled machine. It is one of the best. And a lot of people ask, how can we how can we continually go to Disney World? I think I, right now I'm approaching like twenty ish times uh, that I've been to Walt Disney World, and two times I've been to the West Coast to Disneyland. And the customer service is phenomenal, and people are always like, how can you keep going? And it's because that it is the one place in the world, at least I feel, that you always get your money's worth. Yes, it's expensive, but I don't feel like it's it's overpriced because of the service that I get. And that directly, in my opinion, goes to leadership. They have a set of values, and they have a set of expectations that they put on employees, and if you don't meet those expectations, they don't they don't keep you. You don't stay employed at Walt Disney World. And so every, so when I saw this book, this again, it's called Creating the Magic, 10 Common Sense Leadership Strategies from a Life at Disney, and it's by Lee Cockrell. He also has a podcast, uh, and he is taught at the Disney Institute for Leadership. So if, you know, once we're done reading the book, if you want to go check, or check that out, that'd be great. I think you should. We're not going to cover the entire book on today's podcast, we're going to cover some snippets that I really like that I feel really, really relate to the fire service, but go get the book. You can get it on Amazon pretty cheap. And he's got another book called Customer Rules uh, that is also just as good. It's a little more customer service based. This is more of a leadership base. So let's get back into the book. And uh, so we'll start here. Um, we'll talk about the the 10 strategies that he talks about, because I want to give you a good overview, but we're not going to go through in-depth of every strategy. Uh, so the strategy number one is remember everyone is important. Strategy number two, break the mold. Strategy number three, make your people your brand. Strategy number four, create magic through training. Strategy number five, eliminate hassles. Strategy number six, learn the truth. Strategy number seven, burn the free fuel. Strategy number eight, stay ahead of the pack. Strategy number nine, be careful what you say and do. And strategy number 10, develop character. And like I said, we're not going to go into each individual one of those strategies. I want you to read the book yourself, but I want to talk about some of the things that speak to me when I've read this book and some of the things I think that you can apply in the fire service on a daily basis. Because that is what this is all about. We're all trying to be better as fire service leaders. We're all trying to grow a little bit each day. And I know this is a part, again, I've already said this, but this is a part of leadership that I struggle. So, you know, it, it, it's tough, but 
we uh, we have to do it and we have to try because and it's not sexy. It's not the fire ground stuff. It's not the tactical stuff. I want to read about tactical leadership. I want to read about techniques and nozzles and hose streams and that's all well and good. But no one will ever follow you if you can't lead them. So that's why and and we start that leadership in the firehouse. That's where we're at at ninety percent of our time. So let's get into uh, strategy number one. Remembering everyone is important. And what he talks about, and in, in to kind of set the stage for this, he talks a little bit about being truly inclusive in your work environment. And the way to make sure and that everyone, that to have a truly inclusive work environment, and that's a word that gets thrown around a lot and people have a lot of different, different definitions of what inclusive Means I know that uh, you know a lot of larger organizations have different definitions for that. What he talks about is the reason inclusion is so important is simple. When everyone matters and everyone knows he or she matters, employees are happy to come to work and they're eager to give you their energy, creativity, and loyalty. I think that is definitely true of the fire service because we are in a job that is not easy. It's actually tough on families. It's tough on our health. It's tough on our bodies. It's tough on everything. And if you can create an environment where those things matter, people are going to be happy to see you. People are going to be happy to come to the firehouse and they're going to want to work hard for you. But when you create an environment, and I have been guilty of this, where you create an environment of, of and, and, and I say competition, but competition's not bad. But when you create an environment of, I'm better than you because I do all of these things, that kind of competition, unhealthy competition, then that is poor. And I can tell you at the beginning of my fire service career, I was that guy. I was the guy that if you came to a fire and you didn't do very well, I was going to let you know. Uh, and not in a constructive way. In fact, I had, you know, when I was 21, 22 years old, I would go to a fire and tell someone that they sucked. Man, that hose stretch sucked. Or man, your on-scene report sucked. You're, you shouldn't even be riding in the front seat. Did those guys want to see me at their next fire? Not at all. Did they want to learn from me if I got tasked teaching a training class? Not at all. It didn't matter what my knowledge base was. It didn't matter if I knew was the expert on a topic. I did not create an environment or, or push uh, out from my body language or my words an environment where everyone mattered. Now, I feel like we can go too far with this where if everyone matters so much, then you kind of undermine a little bit of authority. And I don't mean that to be, a, you know, it, it sounds really negative when I say undermine authority, but we do have to, at some point, sacrifice. That's the big part of our job. We have to sacrifice to serve. And that is a problem in today's fire service where a lot of people have lost their sense of service and the fact that they feel like they, don't, they shouldn't have to give anything to the fire service, that they should get everything back. So you have to be careful when everyone matters. Uh, you know, cause everyone should matter. You should get the, you know, you should sit down and talk to people and, and you should, you know, make sure they're doing okay. Uh, you know, all of those things, but we have to make sure at some point, like, look, I understand that your knee hurts, but we have to go to training. 
I get it. I'll give you some time later, but we have to train on this topic. Or, hey, I understand that your knee hurts, or I understand that you had a rough night at home, but we have things here we have to accomplish. So I understand that. I'll try to give you some time later, or maybe we'll take, or maybe we'll take a little bit of a break tomorrow, uh, next shift, but we have to get these things accomplished. So you have to make sure that even though everyone matters and that you understand that, that self-sacrifice and service, especially leaders, leaders are nothing but sacrifice. Uh, we have to make sure that we're sitting on the top of the, you know, we have to make sure we're pushing that forward and pushing that out there and making it known. Um, so expanding more back to the book on making sure everyone matters and that everyone knows it, business leadership is a lot like parenting. Your job is not just to make your employees happy, but to create an environment that enables them to excel at what they do. Just as great parents pay attention to everyone in their family, so great leaders pay attention to everyone in their organizations, bolstering his or her self-esteem and self-confidence at every step. If everyone feels recognized, appreciated, and listened to, everyone will want to take every opportunity to learn and grow. I think that is, again, exactly like what we're talking about. We're making sure everyone matters. We're not placating to just everything, but we're making sure that the work that they do is recognized. Um, Additionally to that for the fire service, and this can be difficult, but additionally to that for the fire service, we have to make sure when we're, and, and it's tough, and it's really tough for me because we're dealing in such life and death, but we have to make sure that when we provide criticism, that it's constructive. Um, again, it's very tough for me because when I see somebody do something that could get them hurt or get them killed or get someone else killed, I immediately want to jump right at them and be like, Hey, you know, grab them and shake them and be like, Hey, you could have died right there. Do you understand that? Because I feel that it, it warrants that, that necessity and gravity, but really reality, what happens a lot of the times when you do that and it's happened to me they shut down. They're no longer listening to you. Um, and so when we're doing these things, we have to make sure that failing is okay in training. We have to make sure that, that you know, we thank them just for putting the effort in for going out there and training. So we have to make sure that their sacrifice matters. We have to make sure that what they're doing is, uh, is valued, even if it's not as much as your senior guy. We have to make sure that what they know is valued. Um, To take a break for just a second, one of the things I love about this book is that for every strategy, for each one of these 10 strategies, he has action steps. And he probably lists about 10 or 12, 13 things that you can do based on that strategy, like uh, in in this making sure that everyone matters, then uh, he's got like 12 things. And I want to read all 12 of those and give you little tidbits from those. So again, back to the book, know your team. If you have children or godchildren or nieces and nephews, you know how important it is to treat each one in a way that makes him or her feel special. You probably also know that the way to make one child feel special may not be the way to make another child, to make another feel special. And wow, how how poignant is that coming from a parent? And I've talked about this on other podcasts. It is extremely difficult to apply the same parenting styles to different kids. Coincidentally, it's very difficult 
to apply the same leadership styles to different people, especially, uh, you know, I'm dealing in a, in a position now where I'm in charge of 25 people, you know, overall. Of course, I have lieutenants uh, who are in charge of the shifts on a daily basis, but there are 25 people that work in my firehouse. Uh, I can't treat all of them the same because not all of them are going to react the same. I can't treat the rookie the same as the 20-year guy. It's not going to happen because he's not going to respond to me. He's not going to respond to me, whereas the rookie, he may respond. He's not going to respond to my you know, bravado, maybe, or my rah-rah attitude or something like that. He's not going to respond to that. But the, you know, the rookie might. The rookie might respond to that. The 20-year guy, he may not. Let your team get to know you. Remember, your inclusive workplace includes you. Too many leaders keep their distance from employees, both physically and emotionally. And I can tell you, this is, a, this is one that I struggle with all the time, and I'm currently struggling with it. I went through a disciplinary action where I failed at this one thing. I failed, and I, and, and I failed on the, on the extreme end of it. I got too close to my employees. I got way too close, as in I wasn't, uh, you know, I was leading and I thought that doing it this way would, you know, doing it the way I was doing it was the right way. You know, we were more friends and and the lines were blurred between boss and, and friend. And it caused me to slip up. It caused me to, to say some things that got me in trouble. And, you know, now I'm struggling on the other end because I'm struggling on the other end because now I feel like I've gotten burned. I feel like I've gotten burned. And so now I'm very closed off and I, it's tough for me to open back up uh, to people because I feel like, you know, and again, I messed up and I own it, but I feel like I was taken advantage of and I feel like I was, I was wronged and, and it just, it's, it's really, really tough for me to, to, to open back up, but you gotta make sure that you're, that you're, you you get to know your, your people and you gotta let them get to know you. Uh, greet people sincerely. Many tough-minded leaders sneer at this advice because it sounds like something a mother would say when she sends her child to school. Some leaders get so wrapped up in their work and in projecting a commanding image that they walk right past people without acknowledging them or worse yet, acknowledging only some of them. That's, again, pretty powerful. Uh, you know, and it's tough too, because again, a lot of times people are busy. You know, I, I try to make it a point to speak to everyone or at least let them know I'm leaving when I leave the firehouse in the morning or, or, or whatever, but it's tough. You know, sometimes you miss them. Sometimes you, they go on calls or, or whatever, but it, it's something that you need to make an effort for. One of the biggest impacts that I ever had in my fire service career, and it was an example, was from one of the, uh, my mentors, his name is Cricket. He thanked us every time he worked with us. Like, not, nothing crazy, but he just said, hey, thank you for your hard work yesterday. And that was it. He didn't want you to elaborate. He wasn't going to elaborate on it or anything like that. But that always stuck with me because at first, and, and it stuck with me for different reasons. One, when I was younger, I was like, yeah, whatever. It's our job. I mean, you're welcome, but yeah, it's my job. You know, no, no big deal. But as I got older, I was like, that really means a little something. 
that really means a little something to me. The fact that he thanks me, you know, and I've tried to take that into account as well. Reach out to everyone on your team. Everyone wants to be heard and respected. It's one of our most basic human needs. But hearing all voices is not just vital for building morale. It's not just vital for building morale and self-confidence. It's a crucial source of information for you as a leader. And that is true. Uh, you know, your people can be your biggest asset or your, or your worst enemy. If you're not engaging them every day, then you're going to fail as a leader. And it's almost certain that you're going to fail as a leader. So listen to your people. Make yourself available. Do everything in your power to be there for people when they need you. Like good parents, great leaders are always available. You know, again, and that is something, that is not only something that I believe in, uh, that is a direct like expectation from the position that I'm in from the people that lead me. Uh, I need to be available. You know, again, I talk about it. I just got back from Disney World. Well, while I was at Disney World, I had to field some phone calls. Uh, I had to field some emails. And that's not because no one else could handle it, but it was because those things, those emails directly reflected me and they were my job. That wouldn't have been right for me to push that job on someone else. So, but some, you just need to be available. Uh, make yourself available. You know, a lot of times, unfortunately, people, you know, they, they hang up the phone, uh, you know, or they decline calls or whatever, but it's, it's, it sucks, but that's just, is what it is, man. You know, you have to be available. And a lot of people don't take that sacrifice. Again, we talk about sacrificing, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like that sacrifice. In fact, I told people like, well, if that's the expectation, I got to answer my phone on my vacation, then I'm never going to take the lieutenant's test. And that's fine because maybe being a lieutenant isn't the, isn't for you then. If you're not willing to make that sacrifice, you're not willing to sacrifice that time for your, for, for your job or for your, for your people. And I'm not saying you have to sacrifice all of your hours. You need to make sure we talked about legacy versus impact on this podcast, but when it's something that it deals directly with you, like, for example, if one of the firefighters that work at my firehouse is hurt, I want to know about it. In fact, not only do I want to know about it, I got to know about it because I may not be able to even help, but I need to know because I need to know that answer and I need to know that they're okay or they're not okay. And I need to be able to get in contact with their family or whoever they need. To, I need to try and do my best to help them get through that. Back to the book, Listen to Understand. Making yourself available is an empty gesture unless you genuinely listen. As Stephen Covey puts it in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, seek first to understand, then to be understood. I I totally agree with that. And it is uh, one of the things I would say, too, is that a lot of people listen just to respond not listen to understand. And it's a, it's a thing I talk about with my 12-year-old, almost 13-year-old all the time. He, when, when he gets in an argument with me, he's listening to what I'm saying just so that he can fire something back instead of actually listening to the words that I'm saying. And we're all guilty of that. We're all human. So try to make sure that you're listening in a way that you can understand what someone is saying and not just to give them feedback because not everybody's looking for feedback, okay? And it's something me and my wife talk about. Sometimes when she's telling me problems at work, she doesn't want me to fix it. She just wants me to listen. And that's maybe the, the problem at the firehouse. This guy who just had a rough day at, at, at home, he is probably not wanting your advice. He just wants to blow off some steam. So make sure we're listening to listen. Communicate clearly, directly, and honestly. I don't feel like I need to expand on that at all. We, you know, Communication is one of the, the biggest 
troubles with leadership. And it is something that because people like to be talked to a certain way, people like to be, you know, some people work better over text, some people work better over email, some people work better face-to-face. I'm a very big face-to-face person. Uh, I like to have face-to-face communications. But in the way way our world is these days, people are texting, they're, they're, you know, direct messaging people, they're emailing, you know, we're conference calling, and that's all good stuff. And it, and it makes it easier to communicate, but sometimes there's things lost in that. But so we just have to make sure that you're adapting your communication style to the people you're dealing with. Uh, for example, a lot of millennials would rather you text them as their boss than call them on the phone. I have had people literally text me, I immediately call them, and they don't pick up the phone because they don't want to talk. They they want to talk, but they want to talk in the way that's comfortable for them. They're intimidated by talking on the phone to their boss, but it makes it feel less informal, uh, or less formal rather, for them by texting or emailing. And so that's fine, That and that's something that we have to deal with and we have to navigate. Whereas, you know, my dad hates when you text him, hates when you email him. He would rather either talk to you face-to-face or on a phone call. He doesn't want people texting him too much because he doesn't like to text. He, he, he texts because people text. He doesn't text because it's his preferred method of communication. And that may you may have both of those ends of the spectrum in your firehouse, and you need to make sure that you're dealing with them appropriately. Uh, number 10, or excuse me, number 9 rather, stand up for the excluded. Be on the lookout for people who feel left out for one reason or another, such as a new employee eating lunch alone in the cafeteria. If someone is being excluded socially, it usually has nothing to do with his or her skills, but the isolation will affect his or her performance. And I think we see that all the time when like new people come into our firehouse. And it is tough, especially in our environment, because we have to get to know you before we, because we're going to put our life in your hands. You know, so we got to make sure that you're about what we're about. We have to make sure that you're going to honor what we're doing here and that you're going to be able to make the ultimate sacrifice. We'll lay down your life for one of us or someone else. So it is tough. It is tough. You do feel isolated at first. I just came to, went to a new firehouse and, and we're in that honeymoon phase where everything's okay. No one's really trying to push each other's buttons too much. I'm not trying to bring too much change too fast. They're not trying to, you know, to undermine. We're trying to, they're trying to teach me. I'm trying to teach them to get used to me. It's, it's a lot of, you know, walking on eggshells for lack of a better term, but we need to make sure that we're not excluding people because we want to make sure people are valued and that they're included. Forget about the chain of command. The days of the vertical chain of command as a way of doing business are over. Leaders who continue to manage this way are doomed to fail because a rigid top-down command structure can slow communication significantly and deliver less than reliable information. You know, and that's uh, something that General McChrystal talks about in Team of Teams. That's something Jocko and Leif talk about with decentralized command. It is something that the fire service has not yet adapted. I think some places are trying to get better at it, but it is something that the fire service has not yet adapted uh, or adopted. And it, it, it's it's hurting us in some ways, but it still helps us in some ways because we still need some sort of chain of command to do things. But there are times where decisions need to be made 
There are times where decisions need to be made or there are time-sensitive stuff that we don't have time to go through a rigid chain of command or top-down communication. We need to be able to go to the source and get the things. Or they need to give us the empowerment to make the decisions without having to ask. Uh, A lot of times it feels like mother may I in the fire service. And I'm pretty sure that that's not just where I work. That is vastly where, where everyone works. I think that all, everyone has a little bit of experience with that. Number 11, uh, again, we're still in the first chapter. Remember, everyone is important, and we're talking about his, his action steps, which I really wanted to focus on these action steps because uh, with this remember, to, uh, remember Everyone is Important chapter because... It is one of the most important chapters in the book. It's it's one of the very first chapters, and it's one of the most important chapters in the book because we have to engage our people. So just we're still reading on those action steps. Back to the book. Don't micromanage. If you want to lose great people quickly, look over their shoulders all the time and make all their decisions for them. On the other hand, if you want to be a great leader, learn to let go. This is so difficult, especially in the fire service, because all almost every fire service leader that I've ever come in contact with is a type A personality. And that means we want to grab it all. We're go-getters. We want to get it. And I am that way. Uh, I constantly fight myself to give away, you know, to, to, to give power away. Like I want to empower people. It would be the easiest thing in the world. And that would make me feel good. It would be just like a big old teddy bear for me to walk into the new station and go, I don't like anything that's going on here. We're going to change everything. And that would immediately get me no buy-in. It would get me no respect. It would get nothing. Instead, what I try to do is let the lieutenants lead and me support them and integrate myself into their culture. And maybe, and, and while I'm doing that, fix any breakdowns in their culture. If something's working, even if it's not the way that I would do it, why do we need to fix it? Okay? Why do we need to fix it? Is something that's worked? Like, for example, the way that they load the hose on the truck. Uh, you know, they, this, what's a popular uh, load for bumper lines these days, especially in our fire department, is the scorpion load. I call it the triple layer for the bumper. Uh, you know, it's not that bad. It's manageable. I just don't like it. Okay. I don't like it. I like using donut rolls. Uh, I like using the basket. I like a a horseshoe. I like a lot of other things. I don't like the scorpion. I just don't like it. Uh, I've seen it, you know, I've seen where it can be a little difficult, but it does work and that's fine. The engine I'm currently, the engine currently at my firehouse had the scorpion load before I got there. They all love it. All 25 people who work at that firehouse like it. And only one guy doesn't like it. And that one guy's me. So that'd be really easy. And I have the authority to do it. I have, you know, a lot of other good reasons of why I think that my way's better. But what kind of, I guess, culture or situation would I create if I just walked in there and said, yep, I'm the captain, I'm changing it. I'm the only one that doesn't like it. And I've seen that mentality fail. I've seen captains walk into firehouses and go, we're changing everything today. And guess what? People hate that guy because he didn't provide any feed, you know, didn't take any feedback from anyone. He didn't listen. He just said, I don't like that how you pack that. I don't like that nozzle right there. We're changing. I just don't believe in that. So, but it's a struggle. I understand that it's a struggle. We all want to be 
perfectionists. We all want it to be perfect. We want it to be our way. We want it to be like Burger King. We want it our way and we want it right now. But it doesn't always go that way. And we need to make sure we're pushing power down. Design your culture. The Disney Institute defines a corporate culture as the system of values and beliefs an organization holds that drives actions and behaviors and influences relationships. Whether you recognize it or not, your organization has one. So the question isn't whether you have a corporate culture, but what kind of culture you have. Does it work for you or against you? Successful cultures are established by design, not by chance, and they're clear, well-defined, and purposeful. That's a pretty powerful statement. Um, The culture of the fire service is changing, and it's changing, in my opinion, for the worse. Uh, I constantly see, and we talked about it a little bit before, constantly see people not remembering that this is a business of self of service and self-sacrifice. Uh, we have definitely got some entitlement into the fire service through our recruiting practices, through just the generational differences. Um, it's difficult, but the only way that we're ever going to get through it is by leading through it and by making sure that we're pushing the culture of service and the culture of sacrifice on a daily basis. It's exhausting. Uh, I come, you know, you would not think that I am a very introverted person. In fact, people who know me understand, you know, think that I'm like one of the most outgoing and extroverted people that they meet. Uh, To be quite honest, I am not. I am a very introverted person. Uh, you know, I'm a very introverted person. It would probably surprise you, but I really don't like being in large groups of people. I really don't like, and to be quite, and, and, and a 24 hour shift wears me out. Even if we run no calls, because I constantly feel like I got to be on, I don't get my energy from other people. That's one of the biggest things too, about the difference between uh, extroverts and introverts is people think that it makes you outgoing. No, extroverted really means that you're getting your energy from other people, like being around people energizes you and, and pumps you up. And introverted means that you might have an outgoing personality, but being around people and feeling like you always have to be on that wears you, and that is me. I will be exhausted after working a 24-hour shift, having to be so so in around all the people. Uh, you know, it just it's difficult for me. It's difficult, and and a lot of times. I'm a homebody. I like to sit at home. I don't like to go out in large crowds and and the large festivals and things. I like to sit home with my family and the people I care about. So it's it's really, really tough uh, to create that culture. But we have to do it every day. We have to make sure that we push, push, push that culture of service and sacrifice. Uh, 13, treat your people as you would want your customers to be treated. The bottom line of this chapter is that there is a direct correlation between how you treat your employees and how those employees treat your customers. Cast members at Walt Disney World are trained to deliver on these four guest expectations. Make me feel special. Treat me as an individual. Respect me and my children. Be knowledgeable. And I think those four guest expectations are also the expectations that your firefighters have of you, of their leaders, in the firehouse. Let's say that again. Make me feel special. Man, you know, and again, we just talked about this being a, a, a service of sacrifice, but 
people still want to be recognized. They still want that. They still want that pat on the back, and they still want that. You know that that they want to feel like their work is valued. They want to feel like their work is something that it, it, that you appreciate, and that the other people are going to appreciate. Treat me as an individual. They don't want you to treat you. People don't like being treated as a group. They want to be recognized for their things that they're doing. And just because five people on the shift like football, they don't want you know everyone to uh, you know they don't want to be th- they don't want you to think that everyone you know that they like football just because everyone on the shift likes football. Respect me and my children. Uh, I think that that's just like a societal thing. You know, people want to be respected. They want to be well respected, and they don't want you to mess with their kids. Kids should be off limits. Um, and then lastly, be knowledgeable. You know. I personally think that this is wrong. This is backwards. A lot of people throw this out there. Of people won't know how much you know until they know how much you care. I think that that's true in a lot of leadership positions, except for in the fire service, because this is again a life and death job. They look for competency before they look for caring. At least I know I always did. I, and in fact, I can put up with an awful lot. I can put up with an awful lot of uncaring. <laughs> of uncaring, if you're a good firefighter and a good fire officer. I'm, I mean, I, I really can. I can put up with a lot of things if you know your job and you're going to keep me safe, and you can put me in the right place to do my job. That being said, people do care that you care about them, but I feel like in the fire service with our just life and death job where at any moment something could go wrong, uh, you know, that competency has got to be to the forefront. But it is a big deal that, you know, you've got to be knowledgeable. You've got to know your job. You've got to care too, but in, especially in the fire service with the skill set just growing every day with what we have, what we're responsible for every day, you've got to make sure that you're, you know that you know your job and that you're training. I always talk about the three hours, and that's part of the three hours. Spending time in the library, spending time, uh, you know, doing some sort of hands-on training, uh, spending some time doing some PT, reading something about our job every day, even if it's just a small snippet. Just staying educated and staying on the forefront. Uh, and and that's just so important. That's and again, that's the the end of chapter one, and that was ta- you know talking about making sure everyone value making sure everyone is valued. And those are those 12, those 13 rather, action steps, a way that you can make sure that you're valuing everyone and recognizing people in your organization uh, and your fire service or your fire department. Um, that's what's great about the book is that every strategy that he talks about is has a has something, you know, he gives you these steps and he even reviews them at the end of the chapter. So we're going to move on to strategy number four. We're jumping way ahead in the book. We're moving on to strategy number four, which is called Create Magic Through Training. And as you know, this would definitely correlate to the fire service because that's how we create our magic is that we train on it first. But uh, Disney, of course, has a has a huge uh, operation that they're having to undertake, and they train a lot. They train a lot, and a lot of their training is customer service based. But one of the things that I wanted to point out in this chapter, and it's really kind of funny, um, it really is kind of funny. They talk and they train people constantly on guest service guidelines. And one of the things that I really, really like 
you know, so it talks about, and again, one of these action steps in the uh, book was teach the principles of great service. No matter what kind of business or industry you're in, great service is critical to your company's success. At Walt Disney World, frontline cast members are taught the seven guest service guidelines, which establish a standard of friendly, courteous, considerate treatment for all guests. To make the guidelines more memorable, each of the seven is associated with one of the seven dwarfs. And that's on page uh, 127 of the book. If you go to page 129 of the book, there is actually a picture of all the seven dwarfs with all of them, you know, and I'm going to read them to you real quick. Seven guest service guidelines. Be happy. Make eye contact and smile. Be like Sneezy. Greet and welcome each and every guest. Spread the spirit of hospitality. It's contagious. Don't be bashful. Seek out guest contact. Be like Doc. Provide immediate service recovery. Don't be like Grumpy. Always display appropriate body language at all times. Be like Sleepy. Create dreams and preserve the magical guest experience. Don't be like and don't be like Dopey. Thank each and every guest. And that is posted all over. So I've had the opportunity to take a, a Disney tour and a behind-the-scenes tour, especially at Walt Disney World, the Magic Kingdom specifically. They have these things called the Utilidors. That's one thing that you don't know. A lot of people don't know about Walt Disney World. You're actually, when you're in the park at the Magic Kingdom, you're on the second floor. They have a complete underground tunnel system called the Utilidors that allow cast members to go through and everything. And I've gotten to go down into them. And that's on the bulletin board as soon as you walk down the steps into the Utilidors. They train on this stuff over and over and over again, and they constantly review it. So what I mean by that, and again, training is how we create our magic in the fire service, is what are you doing on a daily basis to make sure that that culture, to make sure that training mindset is happening in your firehouse or on your shift or in your fire department? What are you doing? I know one of the ways that I like to do it is over the urinals and the toilets of the firehouse, I like to put those little plastic uh, covers that can fit, you know, a piece of printed off paper, just one sheet, and I put them over there. So when it, And so guys are constantly, whenever they go to the bathroom, they're seeing this thing. And they may think it's goofy, but I bet you money, while they're in there, they're reading it. And it's all things that, uh, you know, maybe it's a matte page. Maybe it's something about a new nozzle. Maybe it's something about a new policy. Maybe it's just a really neat one-page article. But they're training. They're training. They don't even know they're training a lot of times. They think, oh, just, you know, this guy's posting goofy goofy stuff in the bathroom. But they're trained. They're going to read it. I guarantee you. They're going to read it. And you know how, how you know they read it? Is when they scoff and scoff like, oh, that's so goofy. But they come out of the bathroom and they come to the kitchen table and they go, hey, man, I was reading that article in the bathroom. I don't really agree with that. Boom. Because I didn't put the article in the bathroom for you to agree with it. I put the article in the bathroom just so that you would read it and it would make you think. Come out to, and, and, and I guess what? You might not think so, but I won because you read it and now you want to talk about it. And now guess what? We're probably going to go outside and train on it. So that's some of the things that you can do. And that's, again, how we create our magic through training, through training people and, and creating that culture. 
That's it. You know, it's just so so vital to everything that we do. Um, so now we're going to jump ahead again in the book to strategy number seven: burn the free fuel. And this is something we touched on earlier. By uh, again, we talked about my mentor saying thank you after every shift. But really, this is a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous strategy, and it's something that that we just don't. You know, maybe we get so caught up in just the busyness of our lives, the busyness of our jobs, uh, you know, just the hustle and bustle. We just don't do it enough. And this is something that's not only going to be great for your firehouse, it can be great at your house and it can be great at your home. It can help you with that legacy versus impact. So again, strategy number seven, burn the free fuel. Back to the book here. When I was the director of food and beverages at the Chicago Marriott, the banquet manager who worked for me as a was a steadfast commander named Eddie. At the time, it was not uncommon for the hotel to be simultaneously serving banquets of 2,000 people on one floor and 5,000 on another, and Eddie made every function run smoothly and on time. He had a remarkable knack for keeping as many as 400 servers organized, efficient, and on their toes, handling every detail With such ease, you'd think he was hosting a cocktail party at his own home. One night, as the guests for two huge banquets poured into the hotel, it dawned on on me just how indispensable Eddie was. Without him, I'm dead, I thought. The next morning, I wrote Eddie a letter, praising his talent and telling him how much I depended on him. I underscored the message by adding, If you ever think of leaving, please come and talk to me before making the final decision. A few months later, my wife Priscilla and I were invited to dinner with Eddie and his wife Joyce. When we entered their home, I was stunned to see the letter I'd sent him handsomely framed and hanging in a prominent place in the foyer. At first, I was somewhat embarrassed. Then I realized how important that letter must have been to him and how proud it must have made him feel. I was deeply moved. From that day forward, I made it a high priority to express my appreciation for the people who worked for me. Writing that letter to Eddie took about five minutes. Did it make him better at his job? Maybe not, but only because he was so skilled already. But I believe strongly that it made him a better leader. Why? Because knowing how great that letter made him feel, he was far more likely to express his appreciation for the chefs, servers, and others who made his banquet room hum. And that, in turn, made them better leaders. Appreciation, recognition, encouragement. Together, they make up a cost-free, fully sustainable fuel, one that builds self-confidence, and self-esteem boosts individual and team performance and keeps an organization running cleanly and smoothly. And let me tell you something, folks. That is one of the, in my opinion, best chapters in this book where he talks about burning the free fuel. And recently, I had a situation like that come up in one of the fire stations I was at where... uh, you know, the firefighters wanted to, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, 
when you know when everything's been done, and usually on Sundays, if we've had a tough cycle, we take it easy. They just wanted to be able to pull their cars in the bay and wash their car. You know, not using any county equipment, not using it, you know, just they bring their own stuff from home and wash their car in the bay. Why not? Does that make them better at their job? Eh, maybe not. But is that going to motivate them? Because I let them do that. Is that going to make them work harder later? Probably. And guess what? It didn't cost me anything. I don't have to order more supplies and equipment or anything like that. They're bringing their own stuff from home. They just want to be able to use the bay because we can't wash our cars outside. They just want to be able to use the bay. There should be no problem with that. It's free. It's free fuel. And you're showing some appreciation to an employee who, and then in turn, that's going to make them work harder. Or saying thank you at the end of a shift. Or writing somebody a note. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't even take a lot of time, but it's something that leaders fail to do on a daily basis. Just saying thank you. Just, you know, again, it doesn't cost anything. Uh, And I try to make sure that I am burning all the free fuel that I have access to. I try to send emails. You know, I try to send texts saying thank you. I try to, you know, at every email that that I, and I always thank people for their hard work. You know, it's just, it, you know, it's just, it's, it's not that hard. It's one of the most simple leadership concepts I've ever been exposed to. And I'm baffled how many people just aren't doing it. They think it's beneath them or they just don't think it's worth their time. They don't want to put any value on it. I don't know what it is, but it just, it's, it's so crazy to think that people aren't doing that. So burn that free fuel leaders, burn it to the ground. Okay, use it. It doesn't cost you anything. Burn it. And I can tell you, you're going to see good results. You're going to see good results when you try and burn that free fuel. Uh, Moving on to strategy number nine. Uh, Be careful what you say and do. And as I've said before already, this is something that I struggle with because I want to be the buddy, buddy guy. I want to be the guy I was when I was a fireman, but I can't be that guy all the time anymore. In fact, I shouldn't be that guy hardly at all anymore. Very rarely should I be that guy. Uh, so one morning early in my career as an executive, Priscilla said to me as I left for work, Lee, be careful what you say and do today. They're watching you and judging you. Her insight had a huge impact on me. From that day forward, I followed her advice. Every morning I drove to work, parked my car, took a deep breath, and worked hard at behaving like a true professional all day long. I've been quoting Priscilla ever since. In fact, I believe it might be the best advice any leader can get. And that is extremely truthful. Um, again, it's something that I've struggled with uh, big time. It is something that I've struggled with because I want to be, like I said when I, before I read that passage, I want to be the guy that I was at 22 years old who had fun at the firehouse. Um, but I chose to take that promotional test more than once. I chose to accept not one, but two promotions. And I chose to step into a realm of the fire service to lead. And that's been a struggle for me because even as a Lieutenant, I was still one of the guys for lack of better term. 
you're riding the fire trucks with them every day, you're working with them every day. You know, it's 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 still easy to fall into that. And and, and in fact, maybe as a lieutenant, that's the way you should be because you're integrating with those guys on a daily basis and they need to know that you're one of them so that you can you know, so that they can trust you, they can believe in you and know that you care, all of those things. But the higher up when you're not working with the same people every day, and especially as a as a captain in my fire department, I work on a different shift than all the other shifts. Um, the firefighters work A, B, and C shift. The captains work D, E, and F shift, which allows us the tremendous opportunity to work with each of our lieutenants because the shifts don't overlap. They they kind of they they integrate with each other. So like yesterday, I worked on B shift. The next day that I would come back to work, I'd work on A shift. So I get to see that A shift lieutenant and how he's leading his people. I get to see that B shift lieutenant and how he's leading his people. And I get to see those guys and they get to see my face. And that's the good side of it. The bad side of it is, though, it takes me twice as long to get to know them. And they're watching me. They're watching everything that I do. So if I slack off just a little bit, they're going to slack off. I make an inappropriate comment. They're going to make an inappropriate comment. I don't train today or I don't work out today. They're not going to train or work out today. And I don't have that daily interaction with them so it's harder to to get a foothold so I can't just go in there and act like I used to and that has been one of the toughest challenges I've had in the last year of stepping into my current role I think I do a lot of things well but I'm not an illusionist when I tell you that there are a lot of things that I don't do good and that is one of them Uh, and it has caused me some tremendous mental health strains uh nothing crazy but just you know some anxiety some you know like so, some like thinking about leaving the fire service which is crazy for a guy that that has a fire service podcast and writes about the fire service and loves about the fire service as much as I do there was a about a 3 4 month period where I was like this isn't worth it and I thought about taking a demotion back to lieutenant I thought I applied for other jobs outside the fire service I was like you know I just got to get out of here it was that bad that I wanted to to run from it but then you know I realized that running from it isn't going to be the answer because I'm a go-getter no matter what I do I will probably seek promotion in that other profession uh I just can't stand idly by while things when I think I can help and I can think I can make things better so the the solution was to attack it. And the solution for that partly is making sure that when I'm at work, I need to be exuding that professional atmosphere. I need to make sure that I'm speaking to people appropriately. Um, I, I need to make sure that I, the way that I'm modeling the behavior that I want to see. And that's tough. It's tough, but it, but I think I'm starting to find a better balance with it because you don't want to be so rigid that they think you're just a robot and and that you can't be approached and all that stuff and that you're that you're you know you have no personality but you can't show all your personality and you can't be the 100% the guy that you are at home and I can't be 100% the guy that I was when I was 22 years old uh you know like for example yesterday at training while we were having a a, a rehash of the training um and someone asked me uh, you know, we were talking about how many engines or how many people does it, should it take to set up a draft site because you're getting portable, you know, a portable, uh, like we're dropping portable ponds and all that kind of stuff. And one guy was like, you know, one person and I was, and, and I was on the, 
the group of people that are saying, no, it needs to be an entire engine company. Uh, and I dropped an, the F word during that. They were talking about the hard sleeve. Uh, like, uh, in fact, I said, even stated when you're trying to wrestle that effing anaconda, it's not, one person is not going to be able to get the job done. And I stopped myself right after I said it. And I apologized to the whole group for my language. Uh, because I was like, that's not professional. We're not that, that, that I think there are times where that F word may need to be used. That wasn't one of those times. So, you know, again, that's part of the changes and that's part of, and, and hopefully that behavior showed some younger firefighters like, hey, there's a time to talk like that and there's a time not to. So, again, that's been really, really extremely tough for me. Um, the last chapter of the book is chapter 13, and it talks about leading into the future. Like it or not, you are a leader. Whether you're the CEO of a multinational corporation, a first-time manager, or a part-time employee, you may be a great leader or a good leader, or you may still have a lot to learn. But if you've read this far, you have the heart of a leader and the potential to become an even better one than you are today. So it's very important to remember, as you go about your business and your personal life, that every choice you make matters a great deal. You have the opportunity to make a huge difference, not just to your organization's bottom line, but to the lives of other human beings. As I say in chapter one, leadership is a whole lot more than a role or title. It's a serious responsibility. And I think that is the perfect way to sum up this review or this just delving into of creating the magic 10 common sense leadership strategies from a life at Disney by Lee Cockrell. Leaders at all levels is something we need in the fire service. It is something that whether you're the first, and a lot of people, they think even as a rookie that they can't lead. When in reality, you've got the tremendous ability to lead because you're the guy that needs the most. You need the most help. You need the most interaction. You need the most investment. And by engaging the people in your firehouse and on your shift, you're actually leading them to get better because they got to up their game to help you up yours. So just because you're at the low level doesn't mean that you're not a leader. And just because you're at the high level doesn't mean you've got it all figured out. We've got to learn and grow every day. We're not perfect. Nobody who's out there talking about leadership, nobody who's out there who is in a leadership position or wants to be in a leadership position has never not messed up. But what we are trying to do and what makes and what separates the good from the bad leaders is the people that are trying to change. I know I messed up. It's not the first time. It won't be the last time. But I try to learn from every time that I mess up and I try to get better. And that's in the phase that I'm in right now, trying to grow from a, from a mistake, trying to grow from a failure. And again, that is, again, you know, just covering that book, uh, Creating the Magic, 10 Common Sense Leadership Strategies from a Life at Disney by Lee Cockrell. It's a great book. We went through a, a, a decent chunk of it, but there's a whole lot more 
stuff that you can apply to whatever leadership situation. I know a lot of people who listen to this are firefighters, but if you're not a firefighter and you're listening to this from some other, you know, aspect of life, there's a ton that you can get out of this book. Again, you can buy it on Amazon. You can get it from, I believe, the, sh- the Disney shop. Um, it's just a great, great book. Uh, it's not a fire service book, so it's going to give you that different perspective that sometimes I feel like we need. And because we spend 90% of our time in the firehouse, it's going to teach you how to be with, pe- how to deal with people better. And that is something I think a lot of fire service leaders need. I know myself, again, like I talked about at the very beginning of the podcast, I want to read with the, th- the stuff that gets me going in the morning is tactical stuff, how to lead through combat, how to deal with, with fire ground situations and tactical situations. But I'm, you know, I feel like that's where my bread and butter is. And I feel like that's what I'm really good at. And I want to even get better at it. But I'm, I'm, as my good friend Ben Martin says, I need to be people smart too. And right now I'm not as people smart as I should be. So go pick up the book and stay tuned. We'll be right back talking about some companies that you can use to support the podcast and that you can support them in their endeavors. Hey, I'd just like to say at the end of the podcast today, thanks for everyone who has reached out, who has said kind words, who's offered feedback. This has been, again, a tremendous undertaking for me. And it's been really fun. I feel like it's helping me keep my game stepped up uh, by getting to share with you the things that I like to do. It's motivating, uh, especially when I get the feedback. It's just it's really just motivating and satisfying. So thank you. Uh, most of the episodes are over 600. Some of are approaching four or 500 people that are just starting to discover the podcast, people that are sharing it. So thanks to everybody. Uh, you know, we did our last podcast with Evan Wang on UHP that got a tremendous amount of buzz going and Evan was just awesome. Uh, as, as anybody who's listened to the podcast knows, he was just a tremendous, tremendous guest to have. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, hit me up on Twitter, hit me up on Instagram, uh, you know, go to the, go to the average Jake firefighter blog and hit, and hit the contact button and email me. Um, you know, I want to use this as a vehicle to give, firefighters, fire officers, people in the fire service, a voice, a vehicle to get your message out there. It has been something that was done for me by guys like Pete Lamb, by guys like Steve Green, Ryan Pennington. They allowed me to come on their podcast and spread my message, and I want to pay that forward. So if you want to be a guest on this podcast, get in contact with me. I'm on Twitter at AverageJakeFF. I am on uh, Instagram at Average Jake FF, the blog, AverageJakeFirefighter.com, uh, you know, all sorts, all those social media. I'm on LinkedIn at Robert Owens. Message me through any of those methods and we'll get you on the podcast. Uh, additionally, I can't do what I do without the support of some pretty great companies. The first, Vanguard Safety Wear. They're the makers of the MK1 Fire Glove. Those things are made for work. I've had the opportunity to go to a couple fires with them now, and they're great gloves. I got them soaking wet yesterday at training, and they were ready to rock within an hour after they dried out. They're awesome. They're great gloves. Go to VanguardSafetyWear.com and pick up all the great uh, products 
from Vanguard Safety Wear. They've got fire gloves. They've got extrication gloves. They're coming out with a whole lot of good products, and they've got a lot more already that you can purchase, and they got a lot more coming. So Vanguard Safety Wear, made for work. Next is fireandironclothing.com. I'm a brand ambassador for Fire and Iron Clothing, and they're a public safety company that it wants to inspire and motivate you to get in shape, whether you're a police officer, a firefighter, a military guy, any first responder, EMT, paramedic. They want to provide you with not only motivation and inspiration, but with some great, great clothing that you can wear to the gym, out in the town. It doesn't really matter. Uh, they're great, great stuff. Go to Fire and ironclothing.com and use the code average jake a v g j a k e if you use that code you'll get you a little bit of a discount and it'll let them know that you're watching the that you're listening to the podcast reading the blog uh watching me on periscope any of the other content uh that i create out there and last but not least the newest company to jump on board who is in my opinion one of the top companies today in the fire service taylor's tins. They make metal helmet fronts for helmets. For plastic helmet, leather helmet, doesn't matter. They will make a front that can fit it. They have a a bunch of different styles. They just came out with a metal passport system. If you have not seen this thing, it is crazy. Uh, it, It has got these two, they make the front and it's got these two clips on it, and then they can change the passports out, and it clips in, and it stays in. Uh, I wear a Taylor's 10 on my helmet, and I have gotten nothing but compliments from it since I started wearing it. It is high quality. They look great. Uh, in my opinion, they look even better than some of the custom leather shields that are out there. Leather fades. Leather gets burned up. It gets soaked up. Wear a Taylor's 10, and you will only need one shield for the rest of your life, but you're probably going to want more because they look so cool. So make sure you go to www.taylorstins.com. And when you go there, you're not going to get some, you know, like you get on other shield makers where you like have this, you know, fly by night, like, oh, put in what you want on the top panel and all this stuff. No, you're going to email Taylor and he is going to customize your shield for you, your helmet front for you. So you're going to email him. You're going to send him pictures of what you're looking for. He's going to mock something up, and you're going to go back and forth. You're going to get a very personalized service, and then you're going to get a very high-quality product when you get that Taylor's 10. It's easy to install. It took me 10 minutes, uh, and it only took me that long because I had to find my drill bits. But when I finally got the right drill bit, boom, right through, no problem. Again, taylorstens.com. Get one today. And lastly, like I say every time when I do one of these podcasts, thanks to everybody who's out there supporting. Please, if you like what you're hearing, share it. Listen to it on iTunes, Google Radio, Stitcher, any of your any podcast listening device that you have. Share the message. Get it out there. Share it with your friends. And uh, one hour in the gym, working on your physical fitness. One hour in the library reading something about our profession, watching a YouTube video on our profession, getting some education, and one hour hands-on training. You do that, you'll become a pretty phenomenal firefighter. Thanks for listening. Stay safe.